The scripture that we are studying and celebrating today is Matthew 6, 5 through 9. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We continue our sermon series, Thoughts and Prayers, and uh, if uh, you haven't, weren't here maybe the first couple of weeks, you wonder why we're calling it Thoughts and Prayers. Uh, we were, I was watching a baseball, ba- basketball game, excuse me, and the announcers were telling uh, how they were uh, thinking about uh, those who were in uh, captivity, who were prisoners of war in the Israel uh, and uh, the conflict that's taking place uh, um, in Israel. And they said, uh, our thoughts are with you. And it really just kind of dropped dead um, and didn't really have any power to it. Thoughts and prayers is a phrase that gets uh, thrown around and maybe overused unless it's used properly. Just having our thoughts for people maybe doesn't go as far, though, as, mu- as well as that may be. But when we begin to... Pray for people. The power of the transcendent God begins to enter both our lives and theirs. We're asking for him to be present in our life and in the lives of those around us. As I've talked about, we live in a secular age, a kind of a weird age, where we believe that the things that are real in this world are those that are most imminent to us, those that are most closest to us. We are disenchanted. We don't believe in something that is transcendent, that is beyond us, and yet we continue to long for that in our hearts and in our lives. Prayer, in particular, enchants our imaginations towards God. It draws our thoughts and our emotions towards Him, His existence, His activity in our creation, His interest in our lives. Prayer stirs our imaginations towards God. If you spent much time with me, maybe it would have to be more than just a a short amount of time uh, when I was younger, um, you have known pretty quickly that I was into magic. If we, uh, uh, my parents got me little gifts, like, well, they would give me gifts as parents often do, uh, but they would be the, the magic kits and the sets that had the magic wand and the, the cups and the balls. And even still today, I love, uh, there's a couple of magicians that I follow on Instagram and I can kind of start to see what they're doing. I know some of the, the tricks that they do behind the slide of hand. If we were on vacation and there was, we went to a mall like the mall of America or, uh, um, 
Oh, what's the place called? The uh, Navy Pier, which is essentially a glorified mall in Chicago. They have those little magic shops that you can go in, and you we would I would stand there. I would make sure that we spent too much time and not enough money uh, watching the guy do the tricks, and then we would buy uh, magic. Uh, decks. I still have several of them in the basement. I love being able to do them. I was never any good. I never performed publicly, um, only to my family. But as you learn magic tricks, you begin to learn that it's sleight of hand, it's misdirection, it's leading someone in uh, the, the wrong direction so that you can manipulate something behind the scenes. There's trickery. And then when you learn the tricks, you learn that there's disappointment and there's kind of a wall of separation between the audience and you, no matter how up close the magic may be. Mystery is different, though. Mystery may be difficult to understand, sometimes impossible to understand, but mystery draws us in. It's different than magic because it puts us up close to what is going on and makes us a part of the story. Think if you've read uh, The Hardy Boys or Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes, you're in the story with Sherlock trying to figure out what is going on. What are the clues? How can I understand what this mystery is? It reveals itself to us slowly. There's no deception. It creates intimacy. It's hidden but eventually it reveals itself to us. Prayer is not magic. There's no magic formula. There's no magic words. But prayer is a mystery. It's a mystery how prayer places us into the life of a transcendent God. N.T. Wright, the great theologian, says, At its lowest... Prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. But at its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of his reality, his generosity, his delight, and his grace. Prayer is a mystery and in this passage, that is the preface to the Lord's Prayer, where we're going to spend the rest of our time in this series, Jesus opens the mystery of what prayer is to us. He gives us a guide, kind of some opening words, a, a preface, as I said, kind of leading us into uh, his way of praying. See, the mystery of prayer is that it's not public, but it is private. It's not phrases, but it is the Father. It's not public, it's private. It's not phrases, it's the Father. It's not public, but it's private. Look at verses 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. 
These people are hypocrites. Don't be like them. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't like that word. Even saying it, we say it very quickly so we can get beyond it. Hypocrites was the Greek word for actors. They would put masks on and they would perform. They would be someone other than themselves. And this prayer, these people who would pray, their posture was to be in a public space, standing, being made known to others around them, and they would be performing. They would be praying that whether it was in the synagogues or on the street corners, whether it was in a religious context so that people could see and laud them for how amazing their prayers were, or they were on the street corners, just out there. Look at us, even on the street corners, we're praying. Look at me. Look at me performing. There was actually a rabbinical rule that uh, forbade this. Um, They would have to be, if you're going to pray in public, you would need to be silent, whispered prayer. But even that can be performance, a holier than thou. And Jesus says, look at them. They have their reward. They get their public adulation or their disdain, depending on your perspective. But people see them, and that is their reward. But when you pray, he says, whenever you pray, notice the contrast in here. Go into a room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. There's no performance aspect to it. It's private. It is removed from all those near to them, even in their own house, even in our own house. And the audience is only God. It's only him. It's no one else who's around. This word room would have been uh, referring to the storeroom that was in a house. In the ancient Near East, they had one room in the house that could be locked. It's where they kept the animal feed. It's where they kept food. It's where they kept tools, anything that was of moderate value that they would have to keep locked up. This would have been the least sanctified place in the entire house. One commentator says, in Jesus... The Holy of Holies is no longer the meeting place between God and his people, but rather a room in your house with a lock. There he is in the middle of your life. And your father who sees you will reward you. There's no specificity of this reward. It's kind of frustrating. Thank you, Jesus, for not telling us what exactly we would receive. But it excludes other people. And it focuses our lives on God. And I would argue that though there is no stated reward, it's not something tangible that is handed to us, but our reward is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is God being involved in our lives. The reward of those who pray in public is the eye of their audience. The reward of those who pray in private is the eye of our Heavenly Father. I thought I made this joke up, and then I saw that Taylor Swift had already posted it five years ago on Instagram of all places, but if a tree falls in the woods does it, and it doesn't post about it on Instagram, does it even matter? If we don't post our lives on the interwebs, does it matter? Do we matter? Do we have significance Comedian Dustin Nickerson recently posted about people posting up their quiet times. And he had this picture of this woman sitting down into this very comfortable looking chair with her lamp on and her, you know, Stanley cup. 
and her Bible open, and I'm getting ready for my quiet time. And he said, there's literally a verse in the Bible about not doing this, right? I don't know if you do, but I wrestle with posting things on Instagram. If I don't post, does it matter? Do I matter? Does what I'm doing in life? We live in a world where we are encouraged to document and display every part of our lives. There is nothing private anymore. Brene Brown talks about this in her book, Daring Greatly, and she calls it narcissism. Ooh, that's a scary word. We don't like the word narcissist, uh, narcissism, let alone being referred to as a narcissist. She says, I can see exactly how and why more people are wrestling with how to believe they are enough. I see the cultural messaging everywhere that says that an ordinary life is a meaningless life. And I see how kids that grow up on a steady diet of reality television, celebrity culture, and unsupervised social media can absorb this messaging and develop a completely skewed sense of the world. I'm only as good as the number of likes I get on Facebook or Instagram. Now, this is not a verse instructing us never to pray in public as we do here in a worship service or to never pray over our meals in public for people who do that or to never offer prayer to someone else. But it's an instruction that gets at our heart, that gets at our motivation, that gets at our relationship with God. See, God's concern is not for our public persona or how we perform when all eyes are looking at us. His concern is what happens in the secret, secret places of our lives. Who are you when no one is watching? What is happening in the storerooms of your life? I think all too often we open the storeroom of our hearts to those who cannot fully handle our hearts, who are not gentle, who are not kind, who are not gracious. See, the storeroom is not just the place where you go to play to pray, but it is the place of your heart where God wants to go. He wants to be let into the messiest, the least kept, the least sanctified, the most locked away parts of your life. And he's the only one who can truly enter in a way that begins to order and heal and give life. We so often let other people into the storeroom thinking that they can make sense of it, or we try to make sense of our own hearts ourselves, others and ourselves. We just continue to mess it up further. We may clean it up for a time, but eventually it gets messy again. And then we shame ourselves. We, get our, we guilt ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Others may shame and guilt us as well. And so when it comes to letting God into the storeroom of our lives, we are afraid. We are fearful of what he is going to do in there, what he is going to see. He is the only one who is able to bring the resurrection power of his son into our darkest, most hidden, locked away places. He is the one who can shine his light to cleanse our hearts, to show us what needs to be cleaned up, to get into the dark corners of our lives, not merely to expose our sins, to, but, to, but to cleanse our hearts and bring forgiveness. 
the reward of placing your life in the hands of the one who truly knows how to handle all of you. This is the reward of praying uh, in private. Not only that, we don't heap up empty phrases, but we are told that he is a good father, a heavenly father. Look at the last two verses here, or last three verses. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. We're not to heap up empty phrases. Gentiles uh, were the non-Jews, still are non-Jews, who would pray to their gods, whether they were local, whether it was uh, they were in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, excuse me, and they would pray to Artemis, their god of fertility, uh, or they would be national and Roman gods, either Caesar or Zeus or Jupiter. They were instructed that to really get a god's attention, to really get your requests granted, they would need to pray for extended periods of time, to use long and special phrases, to use lots of words, the more the better, because the Roman and Greek gods did not want to get involved in the humans, in humans' affairs. And so you would have to just continue to bug them and annoy them and just overwhelm them with your words, specific words, so that they would get, that they would have your attention. Jesus says, don't be like them, because your God is a father who knows what you need before you ask, ask him. In other words, God the Father sees you. He knows what you need. And the instruction, the invitation, shall we say, is simply to ask. There's no magic formula. There are no magic words. We don't have to say, abracadabra, right? Commonly used as the the trick is revealed. Hocus pocus, another magical phrase, actually comes from the Latin mass when uh, the priest would offer the elements and say, hoc est enim corpus meum, this is my body. And at that moment, the elements would transubstantiate from bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. It is often thought that you have to say the right things in the right way, in the right order for your prayers to be answered. But here, Jesus is telling us God is not a magical force. He is not someone that ignores you, that is annoyed by you, that does not desire to be near you. But he is a God who is a father. There is no other religion that understands God in this way. Buddhism is a beautiful religion that calls people into prayer, out of themselves. But there is no God who is there listening to your prayers. Your role in prayer in Buddhism is to come to your own space of enlightenment. There is not a God who comes to dwell with you, a father who loves you. Now, we may have fatherhood issues in this room. It is likely, knowing that there are more than two people here, that we have experienced good, bad, and likely mixed um, relationships with our uh, earthly fathers. 
that um, they haven't done this or that for us. Maybe they've been abusive. Maybe they've been narcissistic. Maybe they have not met our needs when we ask. And I think this is often what Jesus is getting at and often what uh, lies in our own hearts. The desire for our Father, our earthly fathers, to see us deeply, to see what we need, to see who we are, and to be present to us. And Jesus is saying that they probably won't do that perfectly. They haven't done it perfectly. But your Father who is in heaven sees you and comes near to you and is the only one who can truly meet your needs. Come to him and ask I think this also begs the question, why even pray? If God is God and he knows what we need, why doesn't he just give it to us? This is the mystery, after all. Even so, God being God, knowing what we need before we ask, he still desires that we ask him. James 4.2 writes, in in James, uh, James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. The mystery is that these two facts, God knows and we have to ask, are true. If we think about it conversely, if we believe that God is in complete control and our actions don't matter, then this leads to discouraged passivity. Well, why would I even do anything? What can I change? Yet, if we believe that our actions would change God's plan, his sovereignty, that could lead to paralyzing fear. What if I ask for the wrong things? What if I make a mistake? But if both are true, that we have a loving Father and that he calls us to ask of him, then this is the greatest incentive for praying. God's good plan cannot be changed, and his fatherly arms are extended to us. God is a good Father. He longs for us to come to him. One of the great practices of prayer comes from St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius uh, uh, began the... um, The name just left me. The order of the... um, Sorry, I'm looking at you, Jeff. I'm thinking the Jesuits. Excuse me. Thank you. The Jesuit order of monks. Uh, He was from Loyola. Um, He was imaginative. He was reflective, and he thought prayer was deeply uh, personal. Ignatius trusted his feelings and thought our feelings should be trusted and believed that sorrow, joy, peace, and distress were helpful indicators of our fruitful and deepening relationship with God. And he designed a daily prayer outline to be a daily pilgrimage to God. And his is called the Daily Examine. And um, Ignatian monks, Jesuit monks, uh, pray this on a regular basis. And many other people do as well. Often I use this in my prayer life as well. There are five steps in the Daily Examine. One is to become aware of God's presence. It's sitting, it's being still before him. And letting our minds run to the places to imagine who God is and his presence both within us and all around us. It is to walk through, second, to review the day 
with gratitude, to look back over the day, say, where, what am I thankful for? Where has God been? What is he doing in my life? And number three is to pay attention to your emotions. What are you feeling? Is it joy? Is it sadness? Fourth, reflect on your day. Where did you draw close to God? Where were you further away? This is often called consolation and desolation. Consolation is saying, where have you seen God today? How can you praise him or thank him for his fatherly presence in your life? And desolation is where did you want to see God through your day, but you didn't? Where did you not see God? Where did you want him to intervene in your life? How can you invite him into that place in your life? How can you bring that to him as well? And lastly, looking forward to tomorrow. What are you excited about? What are you nervous about? What are you anxious about? Imagine God walking with you in those moments. See, this gets our imagination stirred. It begins to see the mystery of God revealed in our lives, how he has been with us and how he will be with us. It allows us to bring all of ourselves to God, to open the storerooms of our lives to him, where we've seen him and what we're thankful for, where we want him to come in and intervene and do the work that only he can do. Prayer is not a magic formula. It is bringing ourselves to a good Father in heaven who desires to be a part of our lives and who desires us to be a part of his. This is why Jesus came. Jesus is instructing us, both through his teaching and his life, what it looks like when we live in a relationship with God the Father. But more so than that, he says, I am the one who grants you access. I am the one who shows up. I am the one who gives my life for you so that you can have life fully in the Father. He is the one who has let his storeroom be exposed to the world, his heart pierced who died and bled, but who also was raised into new life that we have in him. It is my great prayer for us as the table that we would be a church that prays for the things of God in our lives, in our neighborhood, in um, our workplaces, in our families, so that we can begin to see how God has shown up so that we can see the storeroom of our lives get rearranged, get cleaned up, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, not only with ourselves, but also with God, the one who promises to give life in his Son by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve to give and not count the cost, to fight and to not heed the wounds, to toil and to not seek for rest, to labor and not ask for reward, except that of knowing that we are doing your will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.